Hey guys, Jace here. Real quick before we get to the episode, I wanted to come on and talk about a cause that I just became aware of that I feel is very important. It has to do with the banning of books and censorship. There is a school board in York, Pennsylvania that's banned over 200 books saying that they're divisive, they're political. Uh, a lot of these are kids' books, they're children's books, they're about persons of color, they're written by persons of color. You look at the 200 books that are banned on that list, and it's it's so clear that this is sort of a, a whitewashing, right? Like they're trying to, to silence voices. Uh, and it's, these days, everything's all about inclusiveness. It's about teaching our children from a very young age about the, the, the truth of the world and the fact that everybody that you encounter in your life doesn't look like you and doesn't have the same beliefs as you. And I'm, I'm so against censorship, and especially when it's so blatant like this, where uh, all of a sudden this diversity education committee says that no we're not gonna have these 200 anti-racism books that are on this list it's wrong and what's really great is although this happened uh, last week and some of the books being written by uh, author brad Meltzer, who some of you may recognize the name as the author of identity crisis he writes as i said children's books but also a lot of novels he he brought this to my attention and Uh, There's a couple of women out there in the area that are basically saying, go on to Amazon or uh, this other uh, book site, I think it's called bookshop.org, and you can buy the books and they will be shipped out to these these women, Hannah Shipley and JJ uh, Schaefer. And they are distributing these books out there to little community libraries, you know, uh, on the street corner by a tree, what, what have you, you go and you grab the books, take a book leave a book, what have you, because it's really important to get these stories out there, to get kids reading, to get them learning about history and inclusivity and diversity. Uh, Well, since this campaign started last week, Hannah has received hundreds of books, hundreds of boxes from Amazon have come in. So that's absolutely fantastic. And the other thing that I just found out before I was getting ready to record this promo is the school board actually reversed their ban. So that's fantastic news, but it's not enough. They're trying to save their own butts. So uh, it's also important that these school board members be removed. There's an election coming up soon. Let's get school board members on this board that have the best interest of the kids at heart, that celebrate diversity and inclusiveness. So there's a ton of links in the show notes if you want to get involved. Obviously, there's a link to Amazon where you can go and purchase the book and have them shipped to Hannah where she can distribute them. There's also a link if you don't like to use Amazon to the other website, which I think is uh, bookstore.org or or something like that. The link is there in the show notes. There's also a link to an article from the Miami Herald that talks in more detail about the decision that was made and why these books were banned and how Brad Meltzler has gotten involved. And it talks about Hannah uh, and JJ as well. Uh, And then finally, the last two links are links to the, uh, the people that I mentioned that are running for the school board six individuals that are very diverse that are all about inclusivity uh, because it's not enough that these books have been unbanned it's not enough that the school board's been making excuses saying the books were never really banned they just weren't allowed in the classroom but they were available in the library no you're just making excuses you got caught uh this is inexcusable these aren't the kind of people that i want making decisions about education things that affect our children that affect the future of this country so again all those links are in the show notes it's a very worthy cause go and donate some of the books go and spread awareness uh it's important that these people don't get away with this sort of behavior it 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 matters so it's a worthy cause 
And uh, again, thanks for listening, everybody. Hope you enjoy the the DC Spotlight. As always, we go in-depth with all the DC books this week. So uh, thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. Welcome to another episode of the Comic Source Podcast. I'm your host, Jace. This is another creator-owned spotlight. We're going to be talking about a current campaign that is active on Zoop. It's for a comic called Trickster. Bunch of roots in Irish Irish mythology, leprechauns and all that sort of thing, which I'm very uh, interested in. It always fascinates me. I know there's it's such a rich uh, just body of lore and myths, and I I actually don't know as much about it as I, I wish I did. So Uh, One of the writers for that series, Connor McCreary, is here to tell us all about it, tell us about uh, his interest in that. Uh, I'll just say based on the the red red hair, it's probably maybe to do with uh, his ancestors. But uh, Connor, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining me. Oh, thanks so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. Yeah. So before we dive into kind of your your interest in uh, Irish uh, mythology and and where that may have sprung from, why don't you uh, tell our listeners the elevator pitch? What's the story all about? Sure. So Trickster is a horror comedy uh, that follows a leprechaun named Rory, who's been hiding out on Earth for centuries. Uh, And Rory is sort of hiding from his past, uh, from some actions he took, from some people he hurt. And uh, even though, you know, he is our hero and he did these things for the best of intentions, he's got a pretty messy background. And so he's been staying in kind of a dive bar in Boston with his group of sort of misfit fairy friends. And he's basically a Robin Hood character. So he has been helping out the, the neighborhood, the people he knows, and kind of protecting them from, you know, gangsters, scumbags, greedy corporations. Uh, but where we pick up the story is some creatures from the fairy lands, some very nasty and dangerous creatures have started to show up. And Rory's going to have to test his kind of personal rule of not getting involved in fairy business because this time people are going to die. And so, yeah, Trickster is very much a story. It's kind of about uh, class and the haves and the have-nots, but it's very much meant to be a very fun horror comedy like Shaun of the Dead or The Goon or Army of Darkness, you know, slapstick with just enough ick and just enough darkness for you to go, oh, I'm not sure what I'm going to get when I turn the page. And so, yeah, that's what Trickster's all about. Yeah, and the first issue I got to to preview, it, it was interesting because I, I totally got the humor and, and kind of the fun, adventuresome feel, and I wasn't really getting the horror. And then you get to kind of the last page, and it was like, whoa, hold on a second. There's clearly something more going on than, than meets the eye. So there's a little bit of uh, kind of subversiveness that you guys have, have thrown in here at the beginning. I'm sure that's sort of intentional. Yeah, for sure. So I mean, I'm working on this project with Neil Gibson, and uh, some of your listeners may know Neil. Uh, he's from a series called Twisted Dark, which is kind of like if the Twilight Zone had all its episodes interconnected and each one built like on the on the one before. And so Neil is his stock and trade is kind of strange turns and things being dark. And I've always loved that. But I mean, I wrote Kill Shakespeare, and I've done got to do stuff with like Assassin's Creed and Adventure Time and regular show which are all like, you know, 
they're all really great stories uh, that I'm really proud to have done, but neither of them really gets that dark. Kill Shakespeare does a little bit. And so it was really fun to get to work with someone like Neil, who I really think is a master of horror, uh, to kind of dive into that. And like you said, Jace, yeah, when you get to the end of the first book, it's very much a superhero book until you get to that last page. And then you realize, like you said, that something else is going on. And going into books two, or sorry, issues two, three, and four, the horror aspect ramps up, but we try to never lose the fun. Now, I do find that so fascinating. Uh, I mean, the whole co- the whole concept of horror. I, I was never much of a, a horror guy. I didn't really watch horror movies growing up and didn't even really start reading horror comics until maybe five or six years ago because I just I was like, well, I'm not really. Yeah, it's not my thing. And then I started reading, you know, a little bit of horror. Uh, Black Eyed Kids from Aftershocks, probably the first horror book I read that I really just really was like, you know what? This might be horror, but it's just a darn good story. Um and I, I find that concept fascinating, like the idea of kind of the same as eating spicy food, which, I, you know, I love. There's a little bit of pain, but there with that pain comes a little bit of pleasure. You know, it's like reminds you you're still alive. I sort of think of horror as sort of the, the literary uh, equivalent of that. And I've, I've actually become a pretty big fan of, of horror comics. Have you always liked horror in terms of uh, enjoying it yourself? And then as a writer, is it something that you've always wanted to uh, to explore? I've, I'm kind of like you. I've always like enjoyed the idea of horror, but I'm like, so this is where, this is where I'm at. Right. So um, my wife and I are big, big wimps around this stuff. Like, so, I mean, I've seen some of the classics. Like I like, I like the classic, like 70s style horror, like the shining changeling, um, you know, stuff where you're like, where you're waiting. Right. I'm not a big jump scare and I'm not a big gore guy. Although I was watching haunting of Hill house on Netflix I mean, that has got one of the greatest jump scares like ever. So like in the right kind of mixture, I'm a big fan of them. But, you know, so when I watch horror, I tend to have the Wikipedia page and I'll like read ahead a little bit of the (laughs) Wikipedia page, which gives you like just enough detail. So you're not totally caught by surprise, but not enough detail that you can't enjoy like how that, you know, like the Wikipedia will be like, you know, Steve sticks his head out of the window and it like he's decapitated and you're like, okay, well, that's coming. But actually watching it happen in a weird way it's even more kind of weirdly exquisite um i've always had a i've always had that sense of the darkness i I think a lot of stories i've done can push into dark territory and a lot of times i've worked with people or publishers who've been like hey pull that back it's not appropriate for this story so i i mean i like the idea of horror i like the psychological horror i like characters doing dark things or really testing sort of the limits of their humanity but I, yeah, I'm, I'm never been, I like a great action sequence, but I've never been like torture porn, that kind of sort of horror. That's not my bag. Um, I'm, I'm much more of the psychological, you know, like I do hold up something like The Shining and saying like that to me is the platonic ideal of a horror film because it, you know, to me it is frightening. And, you know, that, that notion of, is he going mad? Is it the alcoholism? Like there's, it's grounded in such a real place. And to me, that's what makes it really, you know, something like the Babadook, you know, is another great horror film for those who've seen it. You know, and it's really just about like the terror of being a single mother is kind of what that's really about. So that kind of stuff really resonates with me. Yeah. We definitely come from the same place. I mean, when you're talking about suspense and anticipation, 
and imagination is really what we're, we're talking about here because no matter what scary gory horrible monster that comes from somebody else's imagination that springs to life through visual effects or whatever it's never going to be as terrifying as what we could picture in our own minds yeah. because we can make it so much more personal to ourselves so yeah i think setting up that kind of environment so that we can put ourselves in that same situation which again to go to the last page of, of issue one here as a you know not to give things away but i could relate to that that character like the situation that character's in is a situation i can relate to i have you know some similarities and so when i looked at that i was like whoa and when you pick it up because everybody's everybody that's listening is going to pledge and join the campaign and get it and when you get it and see it <laughs> you know exactly what we're what we're talking about the other, the, the other thing that I wanted to ask you about, Connor, because, you know, you, you are mentioning the humor and there are some lighthearted moments. It's a little campy and, and fun with um, with kind of the back and forth, both uh, between the antagonist and the, and the protagonist and even the the partners that, that Rory has. You know, you mentioned his little crew in, in Boston there. Uh, and, and it's great banter like we all have with our, our friends and whatnot. And that comes through in uh, the first issue very well. But you're talking about ramping up the horde in subsequent issues. Talk about the challenge and making sure you you keep what's already there, what you've established with kind of that fun, adventuresome feel in the first issue with bringing in the darker uh, aspect of things. I mean, I think a lot of it is really just, it's kind of as the stakes of the story ramp up, the ability, like the, the, the fun kind of, the fun stays, but you kind of change into a different fun, right? You change into the fun of a great action sequence. You change into the fun of like, um, a villain, you know, getting a great line. Like I, you know, like an issue four, there's one of the villains and, you know, Neil and I, you know, we love this, line, you know, like when a villain gets a great line in. And so I think like, yeah, as you ramp up the stakes, the, not necessarily like the gore or anything like that, but the horrific nature of the scenario ramps up because the stakes are getting higher and higher. And so, you know, your, your investment in the characters is like, I kind of think like, you know, if you do good, you know, if you create good characters, then your investment in the characters also kind of helps ramp up the horror. Uh, and so I don't think you necessarily have to, you know, Neil and I didn't sit there and say, okay, you know, issue two, issue three, issue four, whatever it might be. Well, we've got to like, you know, we've got to get bigger and crazier. You know, you sort of allow the story to push your characters into places. And the more these characters you care about, are at risk, the more I think those, the, the horror of it feels real. And so like, as we go, like, you know, as I was mentioning, like Rory, who's our main character, so, you know, to take a step back. So one of the things that really interested Neil and I was this idea that leprechauns are really completely misrepresented in pop culture. Uh, if you look at kind of traditional Celtic mythology, uh, leprechauns are known as the Sun Alu, which is the Irish sun god. And so the reason they're obsessed with gold is because gold is a representation of the sun on earth. And so they're actually meant to be like tall and beautiful. They're, they're, they're these shine, they're kind of like the shining ones from Neil, you know, Neil Gaiman talking about it in the Sandman. And it was really interesting to us that somehow, some way, they became these tiny little dudes in orange and bad horror movies, hawking, you know, awful cereal. And so it kind of was really interesting to us to get to kind of play with that. And so you know, our main character is this really powerful character. So it's not him that we put at risk. It's these other characters we meet through him who are the ones that as a, as a reader, you're sitting there going, well, if Rory was there, he'd have a fighting chance. But Rory's not here because of the flaws that he's got. Oh, crap. Like, how are they going to survive? 
because I don't know if I can count on Rory getting there to bail them out. And I think that's another big thing is kind of playing. If you have a number of characters that people can invest themselves in, I think it gives you so many options to play with comedy and horror. And I mean, I love it. I'm sure you're the same way, Jace, when you see a show and all of a sudden you see a new pairing of characters that have never really hung out together. And it's just like such a joy when you're suddenly like, oh, of course those two would be best friends or drive each other nuts. And so within the first issue, we don't do a ton of that, but we're setting the stage for this first trade, which is, you know, like 90% complete, which we intend to have out for the end of the year so that people who are supporting this Zoop can dip their toes in, get a sense of all these characters, get a sense of a bit of that menace and horror that's lurking and either be like, yeah, this is my thing and I am so in for the trade or you know what? I tried it. It wasn't my thing, but you know what? This friend of mine, that's who it's going to be for. And so I'm re-gifting it and, you know, and, and paying it forward, but you're going to want to keep it. It's really good. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, based on what I've read of the, of the first issue and talking about that kind of um, that aspect of, of, you know, different character dynamics, different relationships, pairing up certain characters, it kind of goes to another theme, which I, I feel is, is very sort of Irish or Gaelic or, or Celtic, whatever term you want to use, which is this idea of, of family, right? Uh, for whatever reason, I always, when, whenever I'm reading something that kind of comes from that mythology, um, there just always is a, a closeness there that, that I, I feel like that maybe we don't have here in, in America. I mean, not, not, I'm not saying that Americans don't have family values, but maybe it goes back to just how far back their traditions go. Um, you know, and, and the fact that when you, if you go back far enough, we're talking about um, a society that was based on clans, you know, yeah. which is just like a big extended family. I think that probably has a lot to do with it. Um, and that all ties in with their myths and their legends and, and their beliefs. So uh, I, I did very much get a sense of even though it's not necessarily, you know, Rory's biological family, that 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 group that he has there in his bar is really his, his family is, uh, is family going to be, uh, kind of an aspect of the story that you guys are telling? Oh, a huge amount, a huge amount. Um, I think you're, I think you're totally on. Actually, it's funny when you were saying that I was like, clans, that's the first word that popped in my head. And I think you're right. I mean, it, it is a tribal thing, right? And I think you look at tribal cultures, which could be Ireland. It could be in the middle East. It could be uh, any number of places, you know, in West Africa, all of Africa, you know, you, you know, uh, the indigenous peoples and like you get those notions of clans and, you know, and that means you've got these very deep family roots. It's not just the people in your house, it's everybody in your village. And then it's the people in that village and the people in that village. And so I think, like you're saying, like one of the real nice advantages of that is it, it means there's a lot more people you look at in this kind of circle of people that you want to take care of. And, you know, even people who aren't immediately close to you. And I, there's, a, you know, I think, uh, you know, up here in Canada, we just had an election and some of the rhetoric here was, not dissimilar to some of the rhetoric that's been going on in the States. And I, I think my big takeaway from that is not that one side is right or the one side is wrong. I have my personal beliefs, but they're not absolute, but that being able to see something on the other side as part of your clan and as part of your family is really valuable right now. Mm -hmm. And so I, you know, not that we're writing tricksters, some sort of like, you know, Kumbaya song, but I do think it's important to look at family and so, yeah, like you're 100% right. The people Rory meets, you know, Fenton, who is this strange little purple monkey looking dude who can turn into birds and fishes, you know, and is kind of like your sidekick. It's like, you know, Fenton is the Robin to Rory's Batman. If Robin was always like, oh shit, there's a fight, I'm going. Like, yeah, good luck, I'm out of here. see ya, peace. <laughs> you know, like Batman, you could do this way better than me. There's a, there's a drink waiting for me at the bar. Uh, you know, and there's other characters like the Puka, 
who is kind of our incredible Hulk in our story. He is the biggest, most physically powerful, but he's so sweet. He's the guy like, you wouldn't like to see him when he's mad, but you're not sure if he could ever get mad. Right. Um, and so all these characters, yeah, it's very much family. But going forward, uh, some of the characters we're going to meet in this first arc are going to be pulled into Rory's family. But our antagonists are going to be kind of pulling Rory back to the family he left behind. Mm. Uh, and not just the family of people he chose to be a family, but like flesh and blood family that he may have left behind. And I think there's a huge and very interesting question around what happens when you choose to reject your first family, whether it's for a good reason or not, you know, there's a lot of guilt, there's a lot of scars, but there's also a lot of anger that comes from the people that have been left behind. And a lot of where this story is going to go is to look at the family Roy left behind and then also the family dynamics there as well. Ultimately, if we're lucky enough, if people respond to trickster, we want to take them on a pretty epic ride uh, that really is going to take them, you know, really through a wonderful journey. Well, that kind of gets back into something we mentioned right at the top about just how, how rich the, the history of the lore is in, um, in, you know, Irish culture and, and Gaelic culture and whatnot. I mean, you know, certainly when we're talking about leprechauns and the myths and the legends that, that go back so far, um, Talk a little bit about your, your history with that. Is it something that always uh, interested you? Do you have, you know, ancestors back uh, in, in Ireland? Are you, are you uh, Irish? Ah, oh, today, today, today. <laughs> um, yeah, so as you can, might, might have guessed from the name and the, the big red beard. Uh, so, my, yeah, my dad was born in Ireland. Uh, he was born on the north side of the Liffey, which is the, I guess, is the rougher edge of Dublin. Um, my mom's family is kind of an old Canadian family, but if you go far enough back, it's Scots-Irish. Um, and yeah, like, so growing up, like, it's funny, my dad was never really, he like, he, he really wanted us to be Canadian. I think he had a lot of friends who came from Ireland and they really wanted to keep their traditions and, and raise their kids to be Irish. And that wasn't my dad's thing. My dad was like, I came to Canada, you know, my kid's going to be Canadian sort of thing. Um, although the man never learned to love hockey. So I'm not sure if he really committed to the bit. Um, but so we weren't sort of raised with Irish culture on a day-to-day -day basis, but one thing I did get is, you know, I'd ask my dad to tell me stories and he would tell me stories of, of, of Cucullin, who was like this legendary Irish hero. And so I kind of had this attraction, probably because my dad didn't throw a lot of Irish culture at me. I, I wanted to find it myself. Like, what, what, what's my background? What, what is Ireland? And I, you know, stumbled across all these great books of Irish fairy tales. And I think what really stuck with me as a kid is that like in Irish mythology, the heroes don't always win. And often when they do win, there's such a cost for the victory that you're, you know, it, it becomes pyrrhic. And I, you know, I mean, there's all probably a lot of theories about that. You could look up, you know, you know, the Irish being a culture that were um, colonized by the Brits for so long and, you know, fought, you know, a series of wars, you know, hundreds of years long. Right. So there was probably a sense of Irish in our storytelling that they didn't win a lot. And like, who, you know, why are we going to lie to ourselves about the hero being victorious? But those things stuck me I, and they're funny and they're dark and they're sad and they're kind of sexual, like bizarrely. So for books that are being had to, handed to kids, um, that's the one thing trickster isn't. Um, but it really did stick with me just kind of the, this kind of the bittersweet nature of these tales. And so uh, as you go forward in trickster, there are going to be costs and you know, it's not always a happy ending. I mean, you talk about this kind of shocking turn at the end of book one. And when you pick up book two, 
you know, a bit of a spoiler for you, Jace, like you're going to find that that didn't necessarily end well and that that was not something our hero could stop or protect. And it's going to be something that they're going to, you know, Rory's going to have to protect others because he failed to protect this first person. Um, and yeah, I, I just always love the Irish mythology and it's always been something I enjoyed. And I, I feel like it's something that people don't know a ton about. Uh, and so hopefully, yeah, hopefully it's kind of a rich world. I think it's very accessible, but hopefully people come in and are like, wow, there's, this is kind of a cool fantasy world to jump into. Yeah. I mean, I think tying it to those roots is so, you know, people say things in life are so cyclical, you know, it comes back around and, and you know, hearing you talk about kind of these traditions and tropes and in, in Irish mythology of, of guilt, which I, you know, immediately uh, equate that, you know, having grown up Catholic to the whole idea of, of Catholic guilt, that, you know, Irish Catholic is very much a thing. Um, and certainly nowadays that that's relevant. The idea of, yeah, maybe you win, but at what cost, you know, is it, is it worth it? And to go back to something we were talking about earlier and being able to, to put yourself in someone else's shoes, maybe they're not your clan, maybe they're, you know, your clan's enemy, but if you were to walk a mile in their shoes, you know, you yeah. might take things from a different perspective and we could all use uh, a little more empathy these days. So uh, yeah, it's it, fantastic. And, and again, I, I've always had an interest in, in Irish uh, mythology. So reading this first issue for me was, was fantastic. Um, let's talk a little bit about uh, collaborating. You know, you mentioned you have a, a co-writer on this, Neil Gibson, and then obviously we want to talk about your, your artist, Veronica. Um, you, you mentioned earlier writing and dealing with editors and sometimes them saying that you needed to pull back on uh, the darkness a little bit. You find that you and Neil are keeping each other honest. We talked about the challenge of making sure you don't go too dark in the story. So how has that uh, collaboration been on the writing uh, side of things? Oh, it's great. I mean, so Neil and I have known each other for like, we both got into comics about the same time, about a decade ago. Uh, we were doing, you know, I was doing Kill Shakespeare with Anthony Delcall and Andy Belanger. Um, and so Kill Shakespeare, you know, for those who don't know, it's kind of this weird Game of Thrones, all of Shakespeare's characters in the same world pit against each other on this quest to kill or save this mysterious wizard named William Shakespeare. Um, and so we were kind of the new indie kids in the block and there was, you know, it was kind of some nice heat. And then we meet this guy, uh, Neil Gibson, who's doing this Twisted Dark series and he's doing it totally on his own. And, you know, Anthony and I thought we were pretty entrepreneurial and uh, how we kind of approached IDW to do Kill Shakespeare. And, you know, Neil's just like doing it all on his own. And so Neil and I kind of hit it off. We, you know, we met each other. We were both sort of starting at this, you know, we were kind of at similar parts of our career. And really early on, I think within a year or so of us meeting, Neil mentioned he had this idea for like wanting to do a story about leprechauns because nobody knew the real story about leprechauns. And I was like, oh, that's really interesting. I love Celtic mythology. And then we just started kind of talking about the idea. And honestly, like Neil and I talked about this idea for like seven or eight years and we have multiple massive spreadsheets where we have figured out the lore like we figured out this thing like it's your classic writer thing where you're like so in season 10 but like you haven't written the first issue of right. book one kind of thing and so eventually after a certain while Neil and I were like we got to write this stupid thing right like what are we doing here um and yeah it's really easy to write with Neil I mean Neil and I have a really similar sense of humor uh, we have a pretty similar sense of like how story works. Neil's like a very stickler for like making sure things seem logical, um, which is like on first blush is frustrating because you're like, look, sometimes weird stuff just happens, which he's not opposed to, but he has to understand the logic of why the weird stuff happens, which is good. It's, it makes you a very disciplined storyteller. Um, and yeah, I, I, you know, I think I have enough of a 
dark streak in me that Neil never felt that that part of him was not being like um, kind of fulfilled. And like, I, you know, Neil always likes to say it's really hard for him to remember who wrote what. And I like to joke, oh yeah, well, I wrote the good parts. But like, <laughs> it's really true, right? Like, honestly, when I think back, there's a few things that stick out to me. It's like, oh, that was definitely Neil's idea. Or oh, I'm, that's, I'm pretty sure that was me. Um, like any sports reference is definitely not Neil. Um, but like, it really does blend together and it's, it's easy. I mean, I've been lucky when I worked with Anthony, you know, we learned a lot from each other. Anthony taught me so much about structure. I think our collaboration was generally pretty seamless. Um, working with Neil has been very seamless. And then you get into the art team and then, you know, it's Veronica Saraceno and Nessie Pozza, uh, who are these two wonderful Italian women who, you know, Neil had known a little bit through his time in, you know, he's based in the UK. So he does a lot of, you know, European travel. And they were just kind of people that were on his radar. And it was funny because when we first started, we, I mean, I, I never imagined that Trickster would have this kind of European comics look because, you know, Veronica's art is, you know, it has that very classic European feel. And at first I was sort of like, I don't know, really? But then you just sort of watch what she's done with the characters. And as you get into like, like I'm just, we're just getting some of the last pages of issue four right now where there's some pretty twisted stuff going on and how she handles it. You're just like, oh, this is so wrong, but it's so right. Uh, and, and they say, you know, every once in a while you meet a colorist who just really brings uh, an artist's work to the absolute peak. And Agnese is that with Veronica. Like she just, she just knows exactly what to do on the color front to take Veronica's work up to the next level. So it's, it's been really easy. Like there's been so few moments, I think, where either Neil and I have had a disagreement that's been more than like 20 seconds to resolve or that we've looked at Veronica or Agnese's work and had to say, oh no, that's like, you know, there's always tweaks, but in terms of being like, oh no, like, I don't think you get what we're going for. It just isn't happening. And that's, it, it makes it really easy. It makes us think, you know, geez, we should have started writing this like six years ago. Yeah. It's definitely very clean style, um, very animated style. And, and it has that sense of, of fun. And I'm, I'm curious to see as the story continues, how they, bring the darkness in from a, a visual aspect the other thing that's really cool you know veronica's getting to draw these fanciful creatures that they don't exactly have human features right like when you talk about rory having kind of the pointed ears or whatever and she gets to to play with that and be able to use it to emote in in different ways you know with the ears drooping if, if rory's you know kind of feeling down or what have you um and so yeah she's fully taken advantage of that kind of thing and I, yeah I, right away i was taken by by the art so fantastic choices um, well, and, and, and great visual storytelling as well. Uh, the, the next thing we should probably talk about is, is uh, why crowdfund it and why go with, uh, with Zoop? You know, you mentioned having worked at IDW before. What made you want to kind of take out the middleman and, and crowdfund this thing? Well, I mean, I mean, so why Zoop is an easy answer. I, I mean, I've got three kids. Only two are with me right now. Zoop has taken one of them and put them in a secure location. And uh, once we agreed to do the book with them, they would release uh, my third child, Pierce, who uh, he's only one. Pierce, I love you, son. I love you, daddy. Lo um, no. So actually, uh, so Eric Moss, who's one of the two uh, 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 kind of main characters at uh, Zoop uh, with Jordan Plansky, Um Eric worked at IDW when I was doing Kill Shakespeare. So Eric and I knew each other. Uh, and so Neil has done a lot of crowdfunding for his company, which is called T-Pub. And so he's done a ton of Kickstarters and they're a lot of work. 
right? Like I've only been involved with one. It was for the Kill Shakespeare board game. IDW really did most of the heavy lifting there. And so when Neil and I were looking at this, we were sort of like, you know, it's kind of funny, right? Because we talk about leprechauns. And as soon as you say leprechauns, people are like, what? Because like, what, what do you mean a comic about leprechauns? And I think it's really a great asset because people have definitely not read a comic about leprechauns before, but it's also kind of like, huh? Like, and so we found a little bit of that when we were talking to publishers. They didn't quite get it. I think it's one of those things that's easier to see. Like once you see, you get it. I think people who read the first issue will be like, oh yeah, I get this. Like weird, different, never thought about this, but like totally get why this is a comic. And so we just sort of thought this would be a better way to go about things. And Neil had had all that experience. Um, so when Eric and Jordan reached out to us and sort of said, hey, we've got this new company. We're going to take care of basically everything except for you doing your part of the promo and bringing us the art. So Zoop takes care of like so much of the actual like website and they do all the fulfillment and they help us figure out the tiers and they take care of the printing and like all the all the stuff that you know like all of a sudden your basement is filled with books that you're putting into envelopes and you realize you sent the wrong thing to the wrong person you know and so you know Neil was just like I don't want to do that again because I've been doing it for so much so part of this was a honestly part of this was a test run to see like, well, how does it work with Zoop? Like, can they do all the stuff they say they can do? Um, part of it was because I really, you know, I had that personal relationship with Eric and I really knew like IDW has got their stuff together. So I knew Eric would have his stuff together. I am meeting Jordan. He's, he's a great, funny dude. And you can tell he's a really clever business person. Um, and yeah, I think, I think we just, you know, it's kind of just trying it out. Like, let's see what happens. Um, and it's been great. I mean, the guys at Zooper, you know, they're really, you know, they don't do too many projects at one time. It really lets them kind of focus on, you know, all the projects they're doing. I mean, you know, Jace, like we were introduced through the Zoop guys. Uh, and yeah, it was, it was just, honestly, it was partially to try something different. And I do think you are seeing more and more creators. I mean, you look at Kickstarter, right? And I think Kickstarter just passed the $17 million mark this year for comics. Yeah. And, you know, Zoop really wants to be that one-stop place for comics, whereas a comics fan, once you support one Zoop project, cough, cough, trickster, um, then you're on the list. And so then all the other stuff they do comes to you. Whereas, you know, in Kickstarter, you don't really get this a la carte offering of other comics projects. And so that was interesting to us too, is this idea that, oh, for every other project that's been supported on Zoop, we'll get to touch base with those fan bases to see if trickster is their kind of weird. Uh, and so, yeah, you know, and I think we're, you know, we're 60 something percent done in the campaign and we've got three plus weeks to go. So we're sitting really pretty and yeah, I, I, it's been a great experience. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Uh, Zoop is building a, a fantastic comic book uh, community uh, over there. And so, so listeners, here's where I give my spiel. You're probably used to it by now, but I tell you, be sure to go and check it out. There's a link in the show notes, go and check out trickster and, I'm going to say what I always say, even if it's not for you, maybe you uh, absolutely hate Irish things or, or you, you know, you're scared of leprechauns or whatever, whatever reason, or, or maybe you want to join the campaign. You just don't have the means right now. The best thing you can help uh, do to help out with Connor and Neil, if you can't uh, join, if you're unable, just share it on social media, right? The more eyes we get on this thing, get it out there in front of everybody. So everybody has a chance to see it because as I always say, there's nothing worse than finding out about a, a crowdfunding uh, campaign after it's over. Now, now Zoop does have the store where you can go and get things after. And that's one of the ways that they 
uh, are, are supporting comics more so than Kickstarter. Kickstarter is a little bit of a different thing. Um, so you will still be able to get it either after the campaign's over. But the important thing is during the campaign to get this thing fully funded so Connor and Neil can pay the artist and, and you know, get ready for for issue two. So uh, even if it's not for you, just share it on social media. If it is for you, there's some great rewards and tiers uh, of different things that are offered. Do you want to uh, let people know what some of the uh, the rewards are that they can get, Connor? Well, for sure, for sure. So, I mean, I mean, there are, we've got a bunch of really great covers. We've got uh, Veronica did a cover, but Adam Gorham uh, has done covers first. Andy Belanger, uh, we got a cover from B Glass, who actually is the main artist on Last Witch, which is another project I'm doing, whose work is fantastic. Uh, we got a great cover from Vince Sunnico, uh, who is totally Instagram famous. Uh, look for Vince Sun on Instagram. He's got over 100,000 followers. The man is a freaking machine in terms of great art. Uh, so you should definitely check out that as well. But there's a lot of neat thing. I mean, we've, we've got some original artwork from the project. Um, we have, I think these may have been sold out, but you could get written into the comic as a character. Uh, uh, so <laughs> I may be just telling you about something awesome you can't get. <laughs> but I know one thing that's there is, so Neil and I uh, have both done writing workshops for most of our lifetime. I've, I've probably taught writing to well over a thousand people by this amount and Neil even more. And so Neil and I are going to be doing a writing workshop. So if there are any aspiring creators out there, and this doesn't have to be comics, this can be any type of, you know, it can be prose, anything. Uh, one of the things you can get is you can get a masterclass with Neil and I, uh, and we'll go through all our tricks and tips for writing to make you a stronger writer and to get your ideas out there. And also some ideas for how you can pitch and get on the business side. So I think that's a really cool thing we're offering. Uh, and I know there's a, couple more things that are coming down the chute, but I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about them yet. But if you just, yeah, if you search Trickster and Zoop on Google, you're going to find us first off. And as you said, Jace, it's in the show notes. Uh, and yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, if it's something you can't support, totally understood. But yeah, if it's something that seems interesting, yeah, reach out to a couple of friends, tag them on a tweet or an Instagram post, and just let them know that, you know, maybe this is their thing. Because uh, yeah, we, you know, obviously at the end of the day, we just, we just want as many people as possible to read the book. Yeah, and you guys didn't forget about your our, our retailer friends either. There's a there's a retail bundle as well. If, so if you're a retailer, yes, you that's wanna, right. Yeah, you want to have these uh, books in your shop. There's a, and that's an exclusive cover. The retail bundle is the, that's the Andy Belanger cover, uh, and it's exclusive only for retailers. Yeah, it's that's a fantastic uh, fantastic cover as well. So. Uh, well, it's been great talking to you, Connor. Best of luck with the uh, the campaign. As Connor said, there's uh, about three weeks left in the campaign as uh, as you're uh, as we're recording this. Um, it's going to go up uh, the next day on Thursday. So uh, if you're listening to it on Thursday, or Friday, you got about th three weeks left. It's about um, 65, 70 percent uh, funded. So right on track to to finish up uh, and and reach the goal. And who knows what other stretch goals there may be. Uh, and yeah, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to, to more. So is the plan to uh, do several more campaigns for the, the subsequent issues? No. So I think what we want to do is um, I've always been a big fan. I always, cause I mean, people love number ones, right. And I think number ones are great for two reasons. One, they're really interesting collector pieces for sure. Right. You know, when Trickster goes on and is a, you know, a 16 season supernatural esque television show. Um, but also because like, it lets you figure out if this is your thing without having to like really make a big dollar investment. So once issue one has been uh, crowdfunded, the next stage for us will be to do the trade. Because gotcha. that way I think, um, and I, we've talked to Zoop 
uh, about the idea, you know, if now Jordan and Eric would be like, no, don't say this. Uh, but we have talked about the idea of like sending out a special code for people who support issue one so that when they buy the trade, they can get a bit of a discount because, mm -hmm. you know, you don't need to buy issue number one twice. Although you do get all these extra bonuses, like uh, we show you how we show you, we've got a bunch of lore in there. We've got backgrounds and characters, special sketches. Neil and I actually write scripts in a totally different fashion. Neil, the crazy man, uses Excel to write his what? scripts. So we actually show you two different pages of like how I wrote a page and how he wrote a page and then let you choose which one is best for you. It, it's mine. Um, Neil, you know, that's so, a spreadsheet application, right? Oh, it's insane. I mean, Neil's, he, he, was a, he was a management consultant in a past life. So the dude... He takes it. He take, does everything uniquely, which is wonderful. But yeah, the Excel spreadsheet thing is wow. it's cuckoo times, but I've done it because I love the man. Um, but yeah, so we're going to go to a trade next. Cause like I said, you know, Veronica's done basically 85, 90% of the book is drawn. So yeah, that's the plan. We'll go from issue one. We'll go straight into the trade. So once you have issue one and you're like, Oh my gosh, I love this. You're not going to have to wait too long to be able to get the trade. Uh, rather than making like, you know, doing a month by month and all of a sudden it's next summer before you've read everything, it's going to go straight to the trade and the trade is going to have, um, like, like you were saying, Jace, we, we, we end on a pretty ominous note and we're going to follow up on that ominous note. There is definitely going to be some intense moments going forward in the story. There is still going to be a lot of laughs. There's still going to be a lot of fun. Like you said, it's family uh, and so that means there's going to be a lot of, you know, there is a lot of heart to the story. And, you know, from Neil and my money, the ending of this first book is, is going to be, is going to be a bit of a, a tearjerker. It's going to, it's going to be something that makes you go, whoa, like somebody gave up a lot there. And but there'll be this little crack of a door opening so that maybe this character can still continue in the story, but also it's going to just have a bit of a shadow looming over it because there is a, there's a real big evil hiding out in our world. And this first book is going to start to bring us to that doorstep. But it all starts with the first issue, which is a ton of fun. And uh, yeah, I, you know, I just think if you, if you like a good, fun, superhero kind of adventure type comic, that's also willing to take a, a hard right turn into, whoa, that would never happen in a Marvel or DC book, then this is going to be your thing. Yeah, and fun really is the best word I could use to describe the first issue. It, it's just a whole lot of fun. I have a smile on my face as I was reading it. And, and I will say, as far as your your idea for for kind of how to structure the, the release of this thing, I love it. I think it's brilliant. I hope it catches on because that's exactly what I want. Let me read the first part of the story and get that relatively inexpensively. And if I'm in, I, let me then let me, I don't have to wait, you know, especially when you do crowdfunding things. That's the one drawback, which I think is something that Zoop helps with because they handle so much of the yeah. heavy lift, lifting, as you said, you know, if you have to fulfill all that stuff, that's why it takes sometimes six months between issues, which is a long time. If you really are into a story, by the time the second issue comes out, you've forgotten, you know, maybe you miss out on it or what have you. So getting one issue, let me know if I'm interested and then give me the whole rest of the story. Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic. I, I mean, I honestly, if I ever run a publishing company, it'll be I'll steal it from Stephen King. It'll be 13 past midnight because I think you want issue number one and then three months later, you want to be able to buy the trade. Yep. You know, and I and so that's why we, we didn't want to release this first issue until we knew that the trade was almost done. Because yeah, I mean, you know, the best case scenario is this thing is going to be, the trade will be ready for Christmas. And so it'll be a great gift to yourself, gift to your friends. And, you know, it won't be so long that you'll be like, oh man, what was Trickster? 
you'll you know and we're going to be we're going to keep great conversation with people who support the zoo uh we're giving a preview of issue two in the first issue you get a bit of that but we'll have lots of fun goodies that we are able to keep giving to the supporters of zoo so yeah you know i hope i hope people out there think it's something interesting and you know want to give it a try well fantastic hopefully it, it, all the timing works out and we'll have to have uh you and maybe we'll get Neil on next time too to, to talk about reception for issue one and and hopefully the campaign is, is you know rolling right along for the, for the trade. That'd be fantastic. Thanks so much, man. I, I really appreciate it. Yeah, it's my pleasure. And uh, as we're winding up here, is there anything else that you want to let our listeners know, Connor? Uh, I mean, I guess the only other thing is to say if you do love Celtic storytelling, uh, my all ages adventure book called The Last Witch, which is about a young girl who teams up with her little brother and her grandmother to face the coven of witches that have destroyed her village and plan to conquer Ireland. Uh, that just came out last week through Boom Publishing, uh, where Trickster is a little bit of a darker, older story. Uh, last Witch is very much like a secret of Nim or Dark Crystal, or I've been told by a couple of people they've compared it to Bone, which I never would have done myself. But now that two people have said it, I guess I'll say it. Uh, but it's that kind of, you know, it's that book that you can read to your kid, but really you're when they're like yeah read me last witch you're like yes because i want to know what happens next <laughs> uh, and so yeah that's it's kind of a celtic double shot uh but yeah trickster and the last witch those are the two things i'm working on and uh yeah you know i hope people check them both out great and if anyone wants to follow along with uh with you on social media to know when you have projects and come uh, coming up and whatnot where's the best place to find you online sure i mean i'm on twitter a lot which is connor mccreary which is c-o-n-o-r and then m-c-c-r-e-e-r-y but you can also find me on the kill shakespeare twitter account Kill Shakespeare Facebook, uh, my name for Facebook, and then also The Real Connor for Instagram, which is mostly pictures of my kids, but they are adorable. Uh, it's a highly recommended follow. <laughs> Great. Uh, I'll put links to the social media in the in the show notes as well. Uh, so if you're having trouble finding Connor, uh, you can go click there and, uh, and find it. So uh, again, Connor, thanks for joining me. Best of luck with uh, the campaign. I picked up the bundle because I had to get all three covers. I couldn't decide. Oh, They're all fantastic. So uh, everybody go check it out. And like I said, even if you uh, aren't able to join right now for whatever reason, just share it on social media. Let's get the word out. So we make sure this thing gets, uh, gets fully funded. Awesome. Thanks so much, guys. Yes. And to you listeners, thank you for joining us. Uh, we appreciate the support as always. We couldn't do it without you. So thanks for listening and we'll talk to you next time. You can find the Comic Source podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe, and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple. Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash thecomicsource. Do a search for The Comic Source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.